Welcome to this week's episode of Reading by the Pool. I'm your host as always, Tinkerbuff, and today I'm going to be reading a very strange and bordering on incoherent short story by a fairly unknown horror author by the name of Bentley Little. This story is called The Llama, and actually if you want to do some YouTube deep diving, you can find where I actually read this same story about, I want to say, 15 years ago. It's this really, it was back when YouTube had like time limits on videos, so it's in a few parts and it's very grainy. Um, but I decided to revisit it because I haven't read it since then, but the oddness of it, the strangeness of it has never left my mind. So sit back and relax in your mind's pool to heat up or cool down, whatever you'd like. I'm just here to make it cozy, or in this instance, incredibly uncomfortable. This is Llama by Bentley Little. Llama, Bentley Little. Measuring. The leg of the dead llama was three feet, two inches long, and everything fell into place. Three feet, two inches long was the precise length of space between the sole of my lynched father's right foot and the ground. By the time my wife's contractions were three minutes and two seconds apart, she had only dilated 3.2 centimeters, and the decision was made to perform a cesarean. My wife was declared dead at 3.20, and the date was March 20th. I found the llama in the alley behind the bookstore. It was already dead. Its cataract eyes rimmed with flies, and the restarted boy was kneeling on the rough asphalt beside it, massaging its distended stomach. The presence of the restarted boy told me that secrets lay within the measurements of the dead animal, perhaps the answers to my questions, and I quickly rushed back inside the store to find a tape measurer. In 1932, Franklin Roosevelt bought a new Ford Coupe. The license plate of that coupe, which Roosevelt never drove, was 3FT2. My father voted for Franklin Roosevelt. I thought I saw my wife's likeness in a stain in the toilet of the men's room at an Exxon station. The stain was greenish-black and on the right side of the bowl. I breathed upon the mirror above the blackened sink, and sure enough, someone had written her name on the glass. The letters appeared, clear spots in the fog cloud of condensation, and then faded. In the trash can, partially wrapped in toilet paper, I saw what looked like a bloody fetus. I left the llama in the alley undisturbed and did not tell the police or any city authority and warned the other shop owners on the block not to breathe a word about this animal to anyone. I spent the night in the store sleeping in the back office behind the bookshelves. Several times during the night I awakened and looked out the dusty window to where the unmoving body lay on the asphalt. It looked different in the shadows created by the moonlight and the street lamp and in the lumped silhouette I saw contours that were 
almost familiar to me, echoes of, of shapes that I knew had meant something to me in the past, but now remained stubbornly buried in my subconscious, but I knew the dead animal had truths to tell. Weighing. The hind end of the llama, its head and upper body still supported by the ground, weighed 196 pounds. My dead wife's niece told me that she was 16, but I believe she was younger. I have a photograph of her taken in a booth at an amusement park that I keep on top of my dresser, exactly 3.2 inches away from a similar photo of my wife. The photo cost me $1.96. I put eight quarters into the machine, and when I happened to check the coin return, I found four pennies. My father weighed 196 pounds at his death. He died exactly 196 years after his great-great-grandfather first set foot in America. My father's great-great-grandfather hung himself. 196 is the sum total of my age, multiplied by four the number of legs of the llama. The Exxon station where I saw my wife's likeness in a stain in the men's room toilet is located at 196 East 32nd Street. I do not remember whose idea it was to try the pins. I, I believe it was hers, since she told me that she'd recently seen a news report on acupuncture that had interested her. I showed her some of the books in my store, the photographic essay on African boys disfigured by rites of passage, the illustrated study of Inquisition torture devices, the book on deformed strippers in an Appalachian sideshow. She told me that if acupuncture needles placed on the proper nerves could deaden pain, wasn't it logical to assume that needles placed on other nerves could stimulate pleasure? She allowed me to tie her up, spread-eagled on the bed, and I began inserting pins into her breasts. She screamed, at first yelling at me to stop, then simply crying out in dumb animal agony. I pushed the pins all the way into her flesh until only the shiny round heads were visible, pressing them slowly through the skin and the fatty tissues of her breasts in crisscross pattern, then concentrating them around the firmer nipples. By the time I had moved between her legs, she had passed out and her body was covered all over with a thin, tiny sheen of blood. When the restarted boy finished massaging the llama's distended stomach, he stepped back from the animal and stood there soundlessly. He looked at me and pointed to the ground in front of him. I measured the space between the boy and the llama. Five feet, six inches. At the time my father hung himself, he was 56 years old. My stillborn son weighed 5 pounds, 6 ounces. 5 times 6 is 30. My wife was 30 years old when she died. According to the book, Nutritional Values of Exotic Dishes, a single 56 ounce served of cooked llama meat contains 196 calories. This information can be found on page 32. The young man did not object when I took him into the men's room of the gas station. He was standing at the urinal when I entered, and I stepped behind him and held a knife to his throat. I used my free hand to yank down his dress slacks, and then I pressed against him. You want it, don't you? I asked. Yes, he said. 
I made him bend over the side of the lone toilet, and although his buttocks were hairy and they repulsed me, I made him accept me the way my wife had, all of me. He tensed, stiffened, and gasped with pain, and I felt around the front of his body to make sure he was not aroused, for if he had been aroused, I would have killed him. I slid fully in, and nearly all the way out, fifty-six times before my hot seed shot into him, and with my knife pressed against his throat, I made him cry out, Oh God, oh God, the way my wife had. I left him with only a slight cut across the upper throat, above the Adam's apple, and I took his clothes and put them in the trunk of my car, and later stuffed them with newspaper and made them into a scarecrow for my dead wife's garden. I hoped that the young man was a doctor. I realized the importance of measurements even as a child. When my sister fell out of the tree in our yard, I measured the length of her leg and the total length of her body. Her legs were 20 inches long, her body was 4 foot 5. My mother was 20 years old when she gave birth to my sister. My sister died when she was 45. Requirements I was required to pay for the knowledge gained from my sister's measurements. My sister had two arms and two legs. I killed two cats and two dogs. My wife was Jewish before coming to the United States. Her parents lived 196 miles from the nearest concentration camp and 32 miles from the city where Adolf Hitler had spent his youth. My wife was born in 1956. I showed Nadine a book on self-mutilation, letting her look at photographs of men who were so jaded, who so craved unique experience, that they mutilated their genitalia. She was fascinated by the subject, and she seemed particularly interested in the photo of a man's penis that had been surgically bifurcated, and through which had been inserted a metal ring. She told me that the concept of self-mutilation appealed to her. She said that she had grown tired of sex, that all three of her orifices had been penetrated so frequently, so many times, in so many ways, that there was no sensations that were new to her. Everything to which she submitted was either a repeat or a variation. I told her I would make her a new opening, a new hole. And I took her to the forest, and I tied her to the cross stakes, and I used a knife to cut and carve a slit in her stomach big enough to take me. She was still alive when I entered her, and her screams were not entirely of pain. She just kept crying, God. My white semen mixed with her red blood and made pink. I wanted to kill the doctor who killed my wife, but I saw him only once after her death, and it was with a large crowd and opportunity never arose again. So I rented a small apartment and stocked the shelves with medical books and arranged the furniture in a manner consistent with the way I believed a doctor would arrange it. This apartment number was 56. I made friends with a young man who, save for the beard, resembled my wife's doctor fairly closely. I invited the young man into my apartment, smiling. Then I showed him the gun and told him to strip. He did so, and I made him put on the white physician's clothes I had bought. I forced him into the bathroom, made him shave, then made him put on a surgical mask. I had purchased a puppy from the pet store the night before, and I had killed the animal by slitting its throat, draining the blood into a pitcher. I splashed the blood on the young man, and now the illusion was complete. He looked almost exactly like the doctor who had killed my wife. I had written out the lines I wanted the surrogate doctor to say while I killed him, and I had typed them out, and I had bound them in plastic. 
I cocked the pistol, handed the pages to the young man, told him to speak. And it would say, Doctor, I killed your wife. Me. You wanted her to die. Doctor. She deserved to die. She was a bitch and a whore. Me. You killed my son. Doctor. I'm glad I did it. He was a son of a bitch and a son of a whore, and I knew I couldn't let him be born. Me. That means you deserve to die. Doctor. Yes. You have the right to kill me. I killed your wife and son. It is only fair. I shot him in the groin, shot him in the mouth, shot him in the arms, shot him in the legs, and left him there to die. <coughs> in the newspaper article, it said that he had bled to death four hours after the bullets had entered his body. He had been a stockbroker. I've clipped my doe nails and fingernails once each week since my wife died. I save the clippings and keep them in a plastic trash bag that I store underneath my bed. On the 10th anniversary of her death, on what would have been our son's 10th birthday, I will weigh the bag of nail clippings and then set the bag on fire. I will swallow 10 teaspoons of the ashes. The remainder I will bury with the body of my wife. I will use the information gained from the weighing to determine the date and manner of my own death. John F. Kennedy was assassinated on the date of my birth, and my initials are also JFK. Cataloging. My store has 16 non-fiction books containing information about llamas. There are five fiction books in which a llama plays an important role. All of these are children's books, and three of them are Hugh Lofting's Dr. Doolittle stories. I have killed 16 adults since my wife's death and five children. Three of the children were siblings. The llama has changed my plans. The llama and the restarted boy. I stare out the window of my store at the dead animal and the boy next to it, at the occasional gawkers who pass by and stop and whisper. One of them I know, one of them over whom I have no control, will eventually notify the authorities, and they will take the carcass away. I cannot let that happen. Or maybe I can. For the presence of the llama in my alley indicates that I have done wrong and that a sacrifice is demanded, but... But who? Who is to be the sacrifice? Will it be the boy or myself? Neither of us know, and we stare at each other. He outside, next to the animal. Me inside, with my books. Through the dirty window he looks vague, faded. Although the llama still seems clearly defined, is this... A sign? I don't know. But I know I must make the decision quickly. I must act today or tonight. I've measured the body of the llama, and it is four feet ten inches long. Tomorrow is April 10th. And that is The Llama by Bentley Little. A very strange and unusual story. So let me know what you think. Uh, leave me some comments in one of my latest posts or just DM me on Instagram at Tinkerbuff underscore. If you want to find me anywhere on any social media, it's Tinkerbuff or some variation thereof. But on Instagram specifically, it is Tinkerbuff underscore. All right, guys, that's all I got for you today. I hope you have a good rest of your commute or whatever it is you're doing while you're listening to this. And I will see you guys next week.